Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 229 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. It's Throwback Thursday, and with the World Championships only four days away, we're going to look at a masterclass called Tournament Expectations. In the questions, we'll look at staying calm while playing, what is considered a short and long ball, getting into position for your forehand topspin, and how to improve your backhand topspin. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Supercoach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Ah, thank you, Jeffrey. Welcome, everyone. And uh, yes, a Thursday show today. Wow. Yes. Week. And the World Championship's only four days away. That is exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. So, World Team Championships, it's, um, yeah, I, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, I, I always get excited when, you know, the thought of the World Championships coming up and, you know, um, some, it's going to be some unbelievable table tennis played for sure. Absolutely. Yep. I can't wait. And yesterday's Ping Silla's question of the day, Alois, was can Werner Schlager and Zoran Primorak match it with the big guns at the World Teams Championships? Because it's Schlager's 17th. Primrack's 18th World Championships. They're um, both getting pretty old for uh, table tennis players. Yeah, and the mood of the meeting was uh, pretty well along those lines. So um, Mark uh, said, no, game's gone too fast. And Matt uh, Massey said, um, unfortunately, I don't think they would keep up with the speed and power of the modern game. I would love to see it, though. Yes, it would be uh, nice to see them doing well, but uh, I think... They're probably right. I mean, Primorak definitely. And, I mean, Schlager's still, you know, he's pretty crafty, though. That's the thing. Schlager's got, um, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he never really relied on power. It was more about his his placement and uh, and his variation of, of things. So, um, you know, maybe Schlager can do something. Maybe. I don't know. He had an amazing serve, which he probably still has. But I think he did rely, He did like to hit that backhand pretty hard. Yeah, he did, but um, you know, he, he also yeah, he also placed that forehand really well, and yeah, as you said, his serves his serves were always very deceptive. So, we will see. Let's see. I mean, Austria needs him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and maybe that's not a good sign for Austria because you always want young players coming up. If you have got the old guys staying there too long, like you see with China, they seem to always get young players coming through um, and pushing the old guys out. Uh, yeah. Keeps them strong. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, 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 in fairness, I think um, he's jumped in to uh, replace Harbishon, who who was injured. So um, yeah, but yeah, mate, you would think that they would have another one or two in line. Yes, indeed. But it will be good to see Schlager back in action. I'm looking forward to watching him. All right, that moves us on to today's Ping Skillers question of the day, which is. Which three women out of the five players will China use in the final of the World Team Championships? Um, Alice, you're better at pronouncing names. Why don't you read out that lovely list? Yeah, so the, the five players uh, listed for China are... Hang on, the, the question's just gone over. Um, is Li Jiajia, uh, Ding Ning, Liu Xiwen, Chen Meng and Zhu Yuling. So uh, pretty strong five players there. And, you know, I mean, out of those five, in the big final, and we are assuming that China's going to make the final, of course, um, 
in the final, who will they choose out of those five? Yeah, it's a difficult choice, isn't it? So jump onto our Facebook page, let us know, or onto our blog at pingskills.com. Love to hear your team selections. All right, that moves us on to some questions. Now, um, oh, actually, you know what? Let's go straight into Throwback Thursday first because uh, it, it's all about tournament expectations. You just said, you know, China's going to make the final. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? Um, what, what do people need to know when they go into a tournament? What should they expect? Yeah. So, um, most of us won't be playing in the world championships, uh, for the, as our first tournament, but at a, at a tournament there, are, I mean, it is pretty different to, um, to your local leagues or your pennant or your rosters or whatever you play on a weekly basis. Um, there are a few different things that you need to really think about. The first one is that, um, you're going to be playing matches over a long period of time. So usually at these tournaments, you know, you, you turn up there at um, 8 o'clock in the morning or, you know, 8.30 for a 9 o'clock start and um, you might only finish at 3 or 4 or 5 in the afternoon and, and you won't necessarily play a lot of matches in those times. So the first thing is make sure you're prepared for that. Prepare to um, uh, have good food um, available um, to yourself during the day, you might not get opportunities to go out and get a proper meal. So, so make sure you're taking food and and drink with you. What sort of stuff should you take? So, as far as food, I've, I always found um, just simple little things like you know fruit buns are good um, things that you can digest easily and also nibble on during the day. Don't don't take um, a, a three course roast meal um, with you. Um, and expect to be able to, you know, wolf that down at some stage. It's better if you take things that you can just nibble on um, constantly during the day. And as far as um, drinks, you know, take take lots of water or, you know, make sure you've got a good supply of water. Water is the, the most important thing. You could think about some sports drinks, but you don't really need too much of, um, of a sports drink. You know, you might have one for the day and you might even just dilute it a little bit um, uh, during the day as well. So, yeah, just be prepared with your food and water. That's the first the first thing. The second thing is at a tournament, you're going to see um, a really wide range of players there. Make sure that you you spend that downtime watching the better players that are at the tournament, watching them, um, trying to get good images of, uh, of these better players. And that's a really good way of learning as well. Um, the next thing is just to make sure that you get to the tournament early. Um, often these tournaments are played in um, in a place that you might not have played before. It's really important to get there and familiarise yourself with the uh, with the environment. If you're walking into a new hall and try to play, everything does just seem a little bit different. You know, the hall might be bigger. Um, there's going to be a lot of people around, um, different atmosphere. So, um, so get, I, I always like to get there. You know, at least an hour uh, before a tournament starts. Give yourself plenty of time to to uh, get in there, find where you're going, um, settle down. Uh, then have a really good hit up as well um, is important. So, so those sort of things are, are really important when you when you're going to a tournament. Yeah. Any other things that you can think of, Jeff? From your uh, not really. That's that's a that's a good coverage. Um, it is a great experience. If you haven't played a tournament yet, uh, get onto your local association website, find out when the next tournament is, and 
enter it. It's just great fun. You meet a lot of people um, and they're all there to enjoy and improve their table tennis like you are. So you meet meet great people that are like-minded. And so, yeah, just get out there and do it. Good advice. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that was Throwback Thursday. And now we want to also look back into history, Alois, and tell us what happened on the 25th of February. Yes. So uh, so the first one is in 1964, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, uh, won his first world heavyweight uh, title beating Sonny Liston in seven. So, so that was uh, you know the start of a very uh, illustrious career for Muhammad Ali. Um, and then some famous birthdays. So George Harrison, famous Beatle, born in uh, 1943, and Bobby Riggs, the tennis player, born in 1918. And also, um, especially for Australians, a very famous death um, on this day in 2001, the Don the great Don Bradman cricketer. There you go. Interesting. Very good. Now, um, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, he was, he was quite an excitable character and I like to um, talk the talk. It reminds me of this question from Spam20. Spam says, I am currently getting very excited whenever I play against someone who's good. I don't know why, but I get very warm and start moving around and I scream a lot whenever I make a point. I'm just happy, but it annoys other people. Have you got any tips on how to cool down? Yeah, so um, that, will be, that will be your emotional level getting up um, a little bit too high. Um, so often when we get, um, you know, get to play uh, other players, you know, better players, our adrenaline starts to get, you know, rush and we, we start to get really emotionally high. You know, we start to get a bit too excited and that leads to that, um, you know, the, almost the, the yelling and the, and the chowing and the, all that sort of stuff. When you get a point, the first thing you need to understand is that that's not how you play your best table tennis. So, you know, being up like that and, you know, uh, being pumped up like Ali, um, isn't, the best way in a sport like table tennis um, because you need to be a little bit calmer. It's much more um, fine motor skills that you need to be able to perform. Um, so being calmer is actually going to be better for you. How do you do that? Um, there are a few techniques, you know, things like using a, a, an abdominal breath, a nice deep breathing, just taking your time in between points, um, setting up um, a good pre-point routine. Those sort of things will really help you. Um, but they're things that you need to set up for yourself. So, um, yeah, it's the first thing is it's great that you're recognizing that, you know, spam. If you, if you don't know that you're being, you know, too excited, then you can't do anything about it. You recognize that. Now there's, um, there are ways that you can go through and, and think about settling yourself down, you know, playing each point at a time as well. Mm, very good advice. Um, we do have a sports psychology section on the Ping Seals website. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So start there and, um, yeah, that'll give you some good ideas about what's going on. Alrighty. Next up is a question from Eugene. He says, there is this type of placement that I don't understand whether it's short or long. It only bounces once on the opponent's side and then it falls off the side of the table. 
but then the ball is very close to the net. So do you call this a short or a long ball? Ah, uh, Eugene, this is long. So anything that bounces once on the table is long. So it, why do we call it long? Because when the ball drops off the side of the table, you can, or your opponent can swing um, fully and make an attacking stroke. So even though the ball might be really wide um, and close to the net, the fact that it only bounces once means that uh, your opponent can swing much more freely. And so that is that is the definition of being short or long. If the ball bounces once on the table, it's long. So um, that it's a, it's a trap for, uh, for players. You know, you sort of think that, oh, I'm, I'm serving it short, but if the ball's going... Um, off the side of the table, you're um, inviting your opponent to to make that attacking stroke. Keep it short, make sure it's bouncing twice on the table and maybe just centralise that first bounce a little bit more. So get it a little bit closer to the middle so it's not swinging off the the side of the table um, on the second bounce. Yeah, good advice with that short serve. I have found though, Alice, that some players, I guess as the players get better, you'll find this less and less, but some players don't like that ball that's kind of very wide. Maybe it's because the corner of the table gets in their way or something, but it can be an effective serve for against some receivers that aren't used to that. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the wide serve can be effective um, as long as you know that um, they can still attack that ball. Um, so, you know, you, they might be able to attack it. Um, as you say, yeah, sometimes that corner of the table does get in the way and it... And it um, it can be an effective serve, but yeah, just understand the definition of short and long um, is that if it bounces once, they do have the opportunity to attack. Excellent. And great question, Eugene. Um, next up is Francisco. And Francisco says, I'm having trouble with doing a topspin on the third ball attack. I have a good topspin in general against block and against backspin. My problem is when they push fast to the middle or the backhand, I don't feel I have time to get into position. Okay. So, Francisco, the, the key here is your preparation um, after your service. So this is, this is really crucial and something that players um, don't do enough of, I think. After you serve, make sure that you are um, tracking the ball well and moving to the next position. Often when we serve, now we might serve and watch what's going on. Serve and track the ball. Follow what's going on. Follow the ball. See what your opponent's doing and be ready. So if your opponent is often pushing the ball long and fast into your backhand and middle area, so your service, um, oh, sorry, after your service, you're going to be here and maybe take half a step backwards to give yourself a little bit more time to play that um, top spin off the, the faster push. Uh, backspin ball. The other thing to think about is is your service. So how can you make your service more effective so that they can't get that fast um, attacking push at you? So one is by keeping the ball lower over the net. If you can keep the ball um, lower, it doesn't give them the opportunity to um, to really push down on that um, on that fast push. Um, and also just where you push where you're serving it to. So if you serve it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they might have a better fast backhand push or a better fast forehand push, so you want to stay away from that. But you can also think about serving just a little bit longer, you know, the, the half-long serve that we talk about where the second bounce 
is going to be close to the end line. What that does is that it pushes them a little bit further away from the net. So if you serve it really short, so the ball's just over the net, they can that um, they can come in really close and push that ball fast at you. When that um, the first bounce is you know mid table and the second bounce is still you know on the table but uh, long, then they're a little bit further away from you, so that fast push. Um, isn't as effective. So there's a few um, strategies to think about. One is making sure that you prepare properly after you serve. And two is think about the placement of your service as well. Okay, got it. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, really track the ball and, and then look at making the serve harder for them to push as fast. Now, in terms of just practicing that movement, saying getting into position, uh, would it be a good idea just to, against a practice partner, get them to maybe you do a serve and then push some long to your backhand, some to your middle, and you try and get around and play that third ball? Yep. Yeah. So initially, initially you'd just get them to play it to one position perhaps. So serve and get them to push it fast into one position and just get used to doing maybe the backhand top spin or, um, or whatever you want to do from the middle. Um, and then you could start to get them to spread it around a little bit. So get the, get them to spread it around anywhere in your backhand to middle area. And then the third stage would be to get them to push that ball long to anywhere. So sometimes they do go out to your forehand. Um, sometimes they do go um, into that difficult area for you in the backhand in the middle. And I suppose the, the fourth um, stage then would be to do any type of return. So they could return short, they could return slowly, they could flick and then um, but then in that practice time, they would also put in a lot of the fast pushes into that area that you don't like. So, you know, go through stages and develop the drill so that you um, are starting with the easy where you're learning the technique to um, more of a game situation where uh, you don't know where the ball's coming and um, they're placing a lot of balls in that um, difficult area for you. Excellent. All right, Francisco. So try out those drills. Um, start with the easy and just work on getting better at those and then you can progress through the stages like Alice mentioned. Hopefully that will help you out. Thanks for the question. All right, next up is a question from Il who says, when you hit the backhand topspin against block or a light topspin, uh, in the ball contact, is there motion forward with the forehand uh, starting... Or, from the forearm, sorry, starting from the elbow. What, what's the action like, Alice? Yeah, so that backhand topspin. Yeah, a lot of a lot of your motion does come from um, your forearm and the wrist. So there isn't a lot of um, motion with here, especially um, against a, a block or a light push type um, stroke. So you're basically pivoting from your elbow and coming forward here. So it's here. Uh, forward, utilizing your forearm, utilizing your wrist to come forward on that topspin ball. And yeah, the, so the less backspin there is, uh, the more forward your stroke becomes because you don't need to lift the ball so much. If they do put more backspin on the ball, then you can start lower and lift upwards yeah, and have more of a vertical stroke. But yeah, against a light, um, a light push or against a block, um, you're pivoting from there and coming more forward with your with your action. Yeah, and I've noticed, Alois, that um, especially with the top players, when they stand up close to the ball, it seems like they can generate 
heaps of topspin and heaps of pace with a fairly small swing. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot about you know, a lot about the wrist and utilizing the wrist to to generate that um, fast speed. That's you know the the wrist, the fingers are moving really fast there, so you can you can get your bat moving really fast in a very short amount of time and in a very small space as well. Yeah, and then if they go further back, they've got a bit more time. Maybe then you'll see them use um, a bigger swing. All right. Um, yeah, so have a look at that, Ill. I'll put a link in the show notes to our backhand topspin video. So watch that again. And, yeah, just uh, keep practicing it. We show the start and finish positions. If you get those right, the rest of the stroke will fall into place. So really take a close note of those. All right. Uh, monkey see, monkey do. A Google Plus user has jumped online and asked us a question. So thanks for that. He says, if you use a Chinese penhold grip, it's always an awkward position. So how do I hold it properly? Um, yep. So what's an awkward position? Just the, the actual grip, perhaps? Mm. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. So so the Chinese penhold is, um, yep. Yeah, so you've got your thumb and finger around there, and then the other three fingers are curled on the back of the bat. So that's the that's the grip that you use. Um, the, the backhand that backhand position maybe is what he was talking about is an awkward position. You know, there you want to probably utilize the forehand a bit more. Um, and then you can use the reverse uh, backhand in that backhand area as well. So the reverse pinhole backhand, you uh, playing the, the ball like so. So yeah, it, it can be an awkward grip, but it can also be effective. I mean, um, Zuzin does all right with it. He certainly does. And, yeah, we do have a detailed video on it in our Strokes and Techniques section, so I'll put a link there so you can see the video. Watch that one. should explain it all for you. Now, Alois, I won't be here tomorrow. I have to go away for work, unfortunately, so we can't do the show, which means we miss out on Friday funnies. Um, but Matt M... Yeah, yeah, got one for us. You got it. You got it. We we missed Friday funnies last week, Jeffrey. Come on. I know. Well, Matt M, you know, thinks that maybe I'm not all that funny generally, but he has a joke (laughs) for us. Um, He says, "What do you call a girl lying in the middle of a table tennis table?" I don't know. What do you call a girl lying in the middle of a table tennis? Silly? No. No. Annette. Well done, Matt. Love it. Yes. I mean, funny. I think maybe maybe Matt can be our resident Friday funny from now. Absolutely. At least he's funny. (laughs) Indeed. All right. Well, that wraps up show two hundred and twenty-nine. Everyone, get excited over the weekend for table tennis. Get excited with the World Championships starting very soon. And Monday they start. And we will all be back on Monday. So thanks for watching. Thanks for the questions. And thank you, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, get into this World Championships, guys. Um, get onto the ITTF site. Check out who's playing. You can see all the teams, all the, the players listed from the teams. Um, and yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. And it'll be on ITTV to watch as well. So um, yeah, get onto it. Bye.